Good morning to y'all. It's great to have everybody here this morning. Today's sermon text is actually split between two passages here. We got uh, the last five verses of Genesis 3 again, and we're also going to read in in Romans 5, verses 12 through 21. So if you uh, put your finger in in that passage of Romans, and when you find Genesis chapter 3, would you please stand for reading God's word? Okay, starting off here in Genesis 3, chapter 20. The man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of all living. And the Lord God made for Adam and for his wife garments of skins and clothed them. Then the Lord God said, Behold, the man has become like one of us in knowing good and evil. Now lest he reach out his hand and take also of the tree of life and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out from the garden of Eden to work the ground from which he was taken. He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden he placed a cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. And now Romans chapter 5, beginning in verse 12. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because of all sin. For indeed, for sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. But sin is not counted where there is no law. Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. But the free gift is not like the trespass. For if many died through one man's trespass, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if, because of one man's trespass, death reigned through one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience the many will be made righteous. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, but where sin increased, grace abounded all the more, so that as sin reigned in death, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Let's pray. Father, again, we uh, thank you. Thank you for giving us another day. Thank you for giving us this time together here. And Lord, we look to you now asking that you open up our hearts and minds to your truth. Lord, um, we know from your word that this is the means of sanctification. Jesus prayed in John 17 for his followers and said, Sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. So understanding that, Father, we pray, change us by your word. Make us receptive to it. We understand that your word is alive and powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword. So it is effective. Lord, make it effective in us. In doing that, we ask for a greater understanding, a greater understanding of our need for mercy and a greater understanding of the mercy you have supplied through the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And again, may it all abound to your glory, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Be seated. We, um, we are continuing our study in Genesis. Um, But I did not really want to leave um, Genesis 3 and the fall 
without making this connection um, to Romans 5. And I did allude to it last week, but uh, I, I did not, uh, you know, in fact, I had intentions last week of saying more about it, but I did not leave myself uh, enough time to do that. So, uh, so I thought we'd pick it up again here today. And that allows us to spend a little more time on it anyway, um, because this is very, very important. I mean, these are very basic um, teachings of the Christian faith, biblical teaching that we're talking about here, but they are foundational. So, I, for example, I put for a title, Death and Life Through Imputation. Death and Life Through Imputation are what you have on the bulletin there, condemnation and justification. But those two things, condemnation and justification, come through, um, at at least in part, through imputation. Certainly that's in whole with justification. Um, There's kind of a a two-sided coin with condemnation. I'll try to explain that in a moment. But condemnation and justification through imputation. Um, The idea there is... and. Of course, I'll expound on this as we go, but the idea is there that we are killed in Adam and we are made alive in Jesus. Now, condemnation or and the, the words condemnation and justification are terms that come straight out of the text uh, in, in Romans 5. And uh, uh, imputation is from the Scripture as well. Sometimes... Uh, um, at least that's a translation sometimes used, um, and certainly a theological term. And the idea there, and this is one of those terms that, it, again, it's important for all of us to understand. The idea there is that something is, when, when something is imputed to us, um, just to use an analogy, it is as if it is put to our account. And that's the way the Scripture speaks of it. So, for example, when you're, when you're talking about justification, Paul says in Romans, and he uses the example of, of Abraham, Abraham believed God and it was accounted to him as righteousness or imputed to him as righteousness. So something that is not yours, that is not mine, is counted as though it is mine or that counted as though it is yours. Something is imputed to you. That's the idea there. All right? And that is extremely important in understanding how we are made right with God. But imputation also plays a role in uh, uh, our being sinners in the first place. And, and uh, that's what uh, got us here in the, the text in Genesis 3, the fall. Uh, and then Paul expounds on that in Romans 5. And uh, so again, it's just, it's just a, these are extremely important, basic but extremely important um, ideas here coming from, coming from the Scripture. And uh, if it's not clear to you at the moment, uh, as I said, I'll try to unpack it as we go here. So let me first of all give you just a, um, a, a sentence, kind of our, our main point here uh, in light of what we see in Genesis 3, the latter part of Genesis 3, and, uh, and then also Romans 5. Through Adam, here it is, through Adam, we were all made sinners and received condemnation. And through faith in Jesus, we are justified and receive eternal life. And that's pretty much Paul's point in Romans. Through Adam, we were all made sinners and we received condemnation. That is, we're under condemnation because of our sin. And that sin is in part imputed to us, and, and so and then again, um, it is also something that we do. So we are we are sinners by imputation, or you might even say by inheritance, because we inherit the sin nature from Adam. But there's a sense in which Adam's sin is counted as our sin, and then it it is in fact uh, handed down to us one generation to another. That in, in other words. Uh, the human, the uh, the sin nature, um, the propensity to sin is handed down to us from Adam, so that we we actually do sin. So you could say we are sinners by imputation, and we are sinners by commission. And and the sense in which I'm using the word there is, I mean, we've committed, we've actually committed sin. 
Um, so, again, here's the sentence here, just kind of summing it up. Through Adam, we were all made sinners and received condemnation. And through faith in Jesus, we are justified and receive eternal life. So, what happens in the fall through Adam is undone in Jesus. That's the good news. Go ahead and give you that up front. Because <laughs> if you, you might, and you know, that's one reason I don't want to just move on from Genesis 3 without dealing with Romans 5, because uh, I want us to see the good news of the gospel. And, it's, and it is hinted at here in Genesis 3, remember, with the serpent crusher. Uh, the seed of the woman, there's this promise given. In fact, let me point this out to you. This was, uh, as well, this was pointed out to me this, this week in some of my reading, and uh, I had not thought of um, this this way, so I'm going to give you this in case I forget to do it when we get to chapter 4, Lord willing, next week. But first in verse 20, chapter 3, verse 20, um, the man called his wife's name Eve because she was the mother of, of all living. Now, I talked a little bit about that last week, but so he calls, Adam calls Eve, Eve, calls the woman Eve, because she's the mother of all living. But I had not considered that uh, to be a, a, a sort of an act of faith on Adam's part. And I mean, in other words, here the two of them are in the garden. They, they have no children. And I mean, there's nobody else. It's just, they don't have any children. They don't have any neighbors. They don't have any, you know, anything but just the animals, um, so they have no seed, they have no children. They're, in terms of human beings, there is no other living, right? There, there are no other persons. So why would he name her the mother of all living? I mean, this is kind of like uh, when, when God calls Abraham the father of many nations, right? And he, and he doesn't even have any children. And he says, I'm going to call you the father of many nations. Abraham's saying, well, my, my servant is going to be my heir. No, God says, uh, you're going to have more offspring than even the number of the stars in the sky or the sand on the seashore. So, so this is a statement of faith. Adam calls her the mother of all living. And it's, of course, obviously based on what God has said when he said there's going to be enmity between your seed. He says that to Eve, right? There's going to be enmity between your seed and, and, the, and the serpent. And... He, that is your seed, will bruise his head and he will, will uh, bruise the heel of your seed. So God, God is saying that there, there is going to be offspring. And so Adam names her the mother, uh, in, in, a, in a, again, an act of faith regarding that. Adam calls her the mother of all living. And I think Eve does the same thing over here in and uh, if we can go to chapter 4 for just momentarily, and we'll try to be reminded of this next week. Um, verse 1, Now Adam knew his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain, saying, and this is Eve speaking, I have gotten a man with the help of the Lord. So um, I, I think there too is an expression of, of faith. She's saying, it's a way of saying God has, is fulfilling what he said he would do. I have, I have seed now, have offspring. I've gotten a, a man with the help of the Lord. So I just wanted to point that out. It's pointed out to me, and I, I think it's, uh, it's interesting and important. Now, um, two main points for us today. Here Again, here's the sentence. Through Adam we were all made sinners and received condemnation, and through faith in Jesus we are justified and receive eternal life. So two main points here. First, in Adam all die. In Adam, all die. And, and another way of, of thinking about that is, because um, this is what I think the Scripture teaches, everyone associated with Adam dies. In Adam, all die. Now remember, um, where we are here in chapter 3, and uh, and by the way, we're going to, this morning, we're going to spend more time in Romans than we will in Genesis, but... But, uh, but this is all part of understanding what is going on here in, in Genesis chapter 3 uh, and from then on. So what happens in chapter 3? Adam and Eve rebel against God's rule. They, they sin against God. And then God sentences, you know, hands down the judgments, the sentences, the, pronounces curse on uh, the serpent. He pronounces a curse on the ground for Adam's sake. He tells the woman that, 
Um, your, your pain in childbearing is going to be multiplied. Uh, in pain you shall bring forth children. He tells Adam that uh, he's going to have pain in, in producing, um, you know, as far as pro, or pro, providing, providing for his family. Um, because you've listened to the voice of your wife and have eaten of the tree of which I commanded you, you shall not eat of it. Curses the ground because of you. In pain, notice um, he's, he's, both of them are being hit really at the, at the center, at the heart of their assigned roles. So um, women, for a woman that's you know, childbearing, and, and he says your, your pain is going to be multiplied in childbearing. For a man, it is providing, right, producing from the ground, providing for his family. And, and God says now, from now on, in pain you shall eat of, eat of it, eat of the ground all the days of your life. So they're, from this point on, living under the curse. And then you get down to verse 23. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden, out from the garden of Eden, to work the ground from which he was taken. So, you know, paradise is lost at this point. They are removed from the very presence of God, separated from God like we talked about last week, put uh, literally, literally, physically put out of the garden. Verse 24 says, He drove out the man, and at the east of the garden of Eden, he placed the cherubim and a flaming sword that turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life. So what's happening here, he's being cut off from the source of life so that he cannot live forever in a sinful state. And I'm, I'm saying he, but of course it applies to Adam and Eve, uh, both, both the man and the woman. They're, they're removed from the Garden of Eden, cut off from the tree of life so that they cannot eat and live forever. And along with that is being put out of the very presence of God. So last week we talked about this in terms of being separated from God. Because that's what death truly is, right? The, the Lord said, On the day that you eat of the fruit of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, you shall surely die. And I think that was fulfilled in two ways there. Number one, they, they died spiritually immediately. I mean, there was, there was suddenly um, the, the, the perfect, harmonious relationship between them and God was broken, severed so that they tried to cover themselves in shame and they tried to hide from God when He came um, in, the, in the cool of the day in the garden instead of running to greet Him and, and so forth. They tried to hide from Him. The relationship was severed. And then here it comes to its fullness and where they're actually physically put out of His presence. So that day, just like God said, in one sense they died. And in another sense they began to die because... They're cut off from the tree of life. And as mortals, finite, uh, they can't live forever, even uh, as good a shape as they were in. So, in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die, and here's the death, separation from God. Now, here's the point that I'm getting at. In Adam, and this is what Paul does deals with in Romans, not only did Adam die that day and Eve, but we all did. Because there's a real sense in which we were in Adam, in his loins, so to speak, just like uh, later on in Genesis when Abraham pays tithes to Melchizedek. And you'll have to search this out for yourself because I won't have time to go into great detail here. But Abraham gives a tithe to Melchizedek, the priest of the Most High God, or God the Most High. And the writer of Hebrews, later in the New Testament, the writer of Hebrews says that the whole Levitical priesthood paid tithes to Melchizedek because they were in the loins of Abraham. So that action that Abraham performed, in, in a sense, was, was, uh, uh, was representing the whole Levitical priesthood, or even the whole Jewish race. And the writer of Hebrews says, well, the, the lesser pays tithes to the greater. And his whole point there is the Levitical priesthood is, is less than the, the, the uh, order of priesthood that is of Melchizedek. 
Now, I know it's all kind of confusing, but the, the point is just this. He's saying that they paid tithes to Melchizedek before they even existed because he says they were in the loins of their father Abraham. So in some sense, Abraham stood as representative of the whole Levitical priesthood. Well, it's similar here, and that's the only reason I point to that. We're in the loins of Adam. Adam stood in the Garden of Eden as our head. Sometimes you will hear the, uh, the term federal head used. That is, he was representing the whole human race, which was yet to even exist, I mean, other than the two of them. But he stood as representative of the whole human race, and he failed. And so when he failed, the whole human race goes down with him. He stood as our representative. And I know some people say, well, that, that just doesn't sound fair. Um, well, it's the way it is. And uh, besides that, just try to, when you think, well, that's not fair, just try to, try to ask, yourself, uh, ask yourself this question. Would I have done better had I been able to be there and represent myself? And uh, I think the answer to that, the correct answer to that is no. So it was, uh, it was perfectly just and right. But there is imputation involved there. Adam's sin is put to our account. All right? Now, Paul says it this way. Let's go to Romans 5. And th- so this is why when, when Adam, is, Adam and Eve are removed from the Garden of Eden, they're put out from the presence of God, separated from God. At the same time, you and I were separated from God. We died in Adam. All died in Adam. Or to say it the way Paul does here, in Adam all die. So there never was a neutral state for us. For example, you get to Ephesians 2. Paul doesn't say, you know, you, you were in that neutral state and then you messed up and then you died and you were dead in trespasses and sin. No, he just says you were dead in trespasses and sin, but God made you alive. He's talking to Christians, of course. From the beginning, it's like Psalm 51. David says, I was conceived in sin. And that's, that's what he means. At, at, at the point of conception, I was already a sinner. So, here's the way Paul treats it in Romans. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you a list of phrases here first, and then we'll, we'll go back and look at them. But um, just hear them for now. This is, this is how Paul speaks about it. And all this is coming from Romans 5, verses 12 through 22. But I'm, I'm giving you these phrases this way to drive home this point. Because what Paul does is he, he says, here's what happened in Adam. And then he says, pretty much with each one of them, he says, here's what happened in Adam. And then over beside it, here's how Christ undid that. <laughs> so first, here's what happened in Adam, okay? Verse 12, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Death spread to all men. Many died through one man's trespass. The judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. One trespass led to condemnation for all men. By the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners. By a man came death. And then finally in verse 22, in Adam all die. Well, that's what he's been saying all along. And in all, all of those phrases, and all of those phrases, I mean, it came from verse 12, verse 15, verse 16, verse 17, verse 18, 19, and then 21 and 22. And the whole point is there, in Adam all die. And nobody's exempted, that is, in, in terms of uh, us mere human beings. Now, there was one exception, and that's Jesus but other than Jesus, other than Jesus, no one is exempted. In Adam, all die. Or to say it like I did earlier, everyone who's associated with Adam died. Well, who would that be? 
every single human being that's ever existed, with, with the one exception of Jesus, okay? He's the only exception. Everyone associated with Adam dead, dead in trespasses and sins. Now, let's look at verse 12. And you're, you're gonna, we'll see, I'm going to uh, be pointing out both sides here. And Adam all died and in Christ were made alive. And you'll see how Paul does that as he walks through here. He, he juxtaposes them, death in Adam, life in Christ. So, verse 12, for example. Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, see that? And death through sin. And so death spread to all men because all sinned. Now watch this closely here, verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given. Referring there to the law of Moses. Which, which by the way, remember this, the law of Moses was given centuries after Adam and Eve. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted or imputed. There's our word. Sin is not imputed or counted where there is no law. Now you read that and you're, you're tempted to think, wow. So from Adam to Moses, nobody was counted as a sinner because sin is not imputed or not, in, not counted where there is no law. So nobody, sin was not charged against anybody from Adam to Moses. But then verse 14 says, Yet death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. Now, first a little explanation here, and then I'll show you I think this is what, what Paul is getting at. Uh, to go back to my term, imputation. Or, or, or we can even think, as I said earlier, we can even th- think in terms of inheritance. Adam sinned, he rebelled against God, and then all of his progeny inherit that. So even at conception, we are sinners. It's not, it's not that w- w- some act has to be committed. It will... We all do sin, given enough time. Um, but that's because we're sinners. It's not the other way around. We're sinners because we sin. No, we sin because we're sinners. And we inherited that sin nature from Adam. And I think that's Paul's point here. Um, and let's just walk through this a little slower. He says, first of all, in verse 12, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. And we saw that in Genesis 3, right? They sinned and they died. They were separated from God, put out of the Garden of Eden. So sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and death through sin. Now, here's this astounding statement. So death spread to all men. So it it didn't stop with Adam and Eve. It's like a a bad virus, you know, or, or some kind of bad... Uh, genetic flaw, just to use an analogy, it, it, it spread to all men. Everybody associated with Adam. I mean, nobody's accepted. The sin spread because all sin. Now, some people look at that and say, aha! See, it spread because all sin. In other words, you know, Adam sinned. And then people are conceived and born maybe in innocent in, uh, in, in innocence, but then they sin. And so it's kind of like every new human being is a new Adam and Eve, or basically. And, and then they sin, and so it spreads to all men. But we would have to ask several questions there. I mean, for, for one thing, why, why, would they, why would everybody without exception sin? Why wouldn't somebody prevail? And I would say, well, of course, the answer is because that's a flawed view. And I don't think that's what Paul is saying. I think what he's saying is death spread to all men because all sin. In other words, let let me just paraphrase that for explanation purposes. We can tell that death spread to all men because everybody sins. I mean, it's Paul's way of saying the proof's in the pudding. Whatever that means. I've never really known what that expression means. But, but uh, 
The proof's in the pudding, all right? How do we know death spread to all men? Because everybody sins. It looks like, you know, we only had three children. In uh, retrospect, I wish we'd had a lot more, but we only had three children. But even with three, it looks like one of them would get it right. You know what I'm saying? I mean, three human beings we've, we've been privileged to raise, all sinners. And not only that, but frankly, every child I've ever met, sinner. Every adult I've ever met, sinner. The proof's in the pudding. I mean, this thing has spread to all men. We know that. It's obvious because all sinned. And I think that's what Paul's saying. So, in, in other words, it's a way of speaking about imputation or inheritance, if you want to think of it that way. Inheriting the sinful nature. How do we know? How do we know that, all, that death spread to all men? Because all sin. Okay? All have sinned. Nobody's accepted. And then again, verse 13, For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. And again, I think it's part of Paul's point. He's saying, look, the law wasn't even given. From, from Adam to Moses, the law wasn't given. These people lived in a period prior to Mosaic law. And he's just making a point, uh, a statement, sin is not imputed where there is no law. Sin is not counted where there is no law. So you have all these people living between Adam and Moses. Sin is not counted during that period because there is no law. So if it were just dependent on them acting, then you could say, you know what, nobody's a sinner during that period because even though they did things we would consider wrong, they didn't know they were wrong because they didn't have the law and sin is not counted. It's kind of like if you're driving down Highway 80... Um, and this is theoretically, of course. I mean, don't, don't try this because the, uh, the police officer may not follow my logic here. But if you were driving down Highway 80 at 150 miles an hour and there was no speed limit sign in the whole range of the road that you're driving, and let's just take that to be on the safe side, let's just take it a little for, further, and no government body anywhere had passed a law setting a speed limit, then you could say, well, that's not breaking the law. It's just like driving on the Autobahn. There's no speed limit. No, it's not posted. So at least that's my understanding. I've never been there. But uh, so there's no, so you're not breaking the law. You can drive 100 miles an hour, 150 miles an hour, and you're not breaking the law. Sin's not counted where there's no law. Yet, death reigned. How can that be? Because we're sinners, not by not merely by action, not first by action. We're sinners by nature. Sin came into the world, verse 12, sin came into the world through one man and death through sin. Death is here, is part of our experience because of sin. And in verse 13, he says, or 14 rather, death reigned. So even though sin is not counted where there's no law, In spite of that, death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam. In other words, they weren't, they weren't given a law, a commandment, and said, you know, do this or don't do this, and they broke it. Their transgression wasn't like Adam's. It also didn't have the same consequences or implications as Adam's. And yet death reigned. How could that be? Because the sin wasn't... Let me just bring it into the present. Because the sin is not just what we do. It's part of who we are. It's in our heart. It's not just a matter of being given, you know, here's a rule. Now, if you break that, you sin. That's true. But the sin is in us. And the reason we break the rules is because... We are sinners. And that's what Paul is saying, I think. Death reigned from Adam to Moses, even without law, because everybody living during that period had inherited the sin nature from Adam. They were all conceived and born in sin. So all the law, in fact, Paul makes this case here and in Galatians, all the law did when the law comes along is magnify that. 
It brought it to light. I mean, it's like you, you, you go up into the attic with a flashlight and you, you shine that flashlight around and you say, my goodness, I am never bringing a flashlight up here again. It just got dirt all over the attic. <laughs> Everywhere I shine the beam is dusty now. No, that's not what happened. Trust me. <laughs> what happened was it exposed the dirt that was already there. And that's what the law does. When the law comes in on the scene, it exposes the fact that all people are sinners in need of salvation. So verse 15, here's, here begins the contrast. Remember we said, in Adam all die. And of course, there we're talking about imputed sin and inherited an inherited sin nature. But now, in Jesus, all are made alive. And of course, here we're talking about imputed righteousness. So everyone associated with Adam dies. Everyone associated with Jesus lives. Verse 15. But the free gift... Watch that. Matter of fact, next time you read through Romans, because it occurs several times, watch, out for, watch for that word gift. And what a, what, a bless, what a blessing. What a blessing. The free gift. In fact, I made a list uh, um, uh, somewhere. I don't know what I did with it. but uh, I was going to say I might give it to you, but I might not because I may not have it with me. Oh, yeah, here it is. I'm sorry. Um, let me just give you these references. We won't go through them all, but um, I'll just give them to you. Uh, let's see. Romans 3.24. Speak, Paul speaks of being justified um, by grace as a, as a gift. So Romans 3.24, Romans 4.4. 4. Wages are not counted as a gift uh, if you work for it, in other words, but as, as a do. And then Romans 5, right where we are here, Romans 5.15 through 17. Uh, I think it's like four different times, three or four different times. One, two, three, four, four different times. Gift is mentioned here. And they, Paul uses a couple of different words, but they're, they seem to be used pretty much the same way. So they're, they're synonyms. If I have time here in a second, I'll point them out to you. But that's Romans 5, 15, 16, and 17. Five times. I said four. It's five times. So um, Romans 3, 24, 4, 4, 5, 15, 16, and 17, and then Romans 6, 23. And then Romans 11.29. Gift. And a lot of times here it's translated in the ESV, it's translated free gift. Free gift. And that's because that is Paul's point. This is not something we earned. It is favor given to us freely. So we're fast running out of time here, so let's go through these next verses. And you're going to see how Jesus undoes what happened in the fall. Verse 15. But the free gift is not like the trespass... For if many died through one man's trespass, much more, mark that, or you know, at least mentally, because you're going to see it again, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So, um, think of it this way. Sin abounded through Adam. But Paul's pointing out to us, grace abounds even more through Jesus Christ. Verse 16, And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. There's our two words. Condemnation and justification. Adam's trespass brought condemnation. The free gift through faith in Jesus Christ, brings justification. Condemnation is just judgment for our sin, right? We're guilty, so we're condemned. Justification is is the equivalent of a judge declaring not guilty. Not guilty. So, let's read it again, verse 16. The free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin, 
For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation, but the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, which is what happened, much more, there's Paul arguing that grace is greater, like the song we were singing earlier, grace is greater than our sin, grace overcomes sin, so much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. So that free gift of righteousness that he mentions there is what we're referring to with the term imputed righteousness. In Adam all die. Adam's sin imputed to us. So that when Adam died, we're all declared dead. When Adam sinned, we're all declared sinners. Everybody associated with Adam dies and is in fact a sinner by imputation and, or you could say by nature and by practice. Or if you, or if Gates used to say, a, a, a little tiny baby rattlesnake is still a rattlesnake. And maybe it hadn't bitten anybody yet, but just give it time and opportunity, and it will. And that's the way we come into being as sinners. Conceived sinners. And a baby in the womb, or even outside of the womb, you look at them and you think, oh man, beautiful, you know. and May not look like a sinner, but just given time and opportunity that baby will sin because that baby's a sinner. So, we are all sinners. We all die in Adam, but we're made alive in Christ. Much more, second part of verse 17, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in life. So those who receive the imputed righteousness, the imputation of Christ's righteousness, and that's the righteousness it's talking about, the righteousness of Jesus Christ put to our account. We're all condemned in Adam. All are justified in Christ. Now, here's the way I've been saying it. Everyone associated with Adam is dead or dies. You know, all die in Adam. Everyone associated with Jesus lives. Now, why am I careful to say it that way? Because some people look at these verses and they say, you know what, here is a text that supports universalism. Paul says plainly, everybody dies in Adam, but then everybody's made alive in Christ. And so therefore, nobody's going to be condemned. Everybody's going to heaven. That's the doctrine of universalism, which uh, is a heresy. Um, It's wrong. Plenty of other passages we don't we don't have time to go through right now. I, I mean, you know, some come to mind. You think of Jesus saying, for example, "I'm the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but through me." And He makes it clear: if you do not believe that I am He, you will die in your sins. Okay, so it's obvious not everybody's going to heaven. So that cannot be what Paul is talking about here. And besides, he gives us a qualifier in verse 17. Because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man. And we already know, right? It reigned in all, everybody. He says that. Even before the law of Moses was given, death reigned. Death spread to all. But look at the way he finishes verse 17 out. Much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. The qualifier is those who receive. In other words, he's not merely saying, in Adam all die, and in Christ all live. He's saying, in Adam all die, everybody that's associated with Adam, which means every single person that ever lived, or will live, and in Christ all live, but the all here is different. It's the all who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. And those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, those who receive, the result is that 
Christ's righteousness is put to our account. Jesus' life, His righteous life, His suffering and death, that is, His his atoning work and His suffering and death at the cross, and His resurrection, His victory over sin and over death, all of that is put to our account. That's why Paul, and it's through faith, it's through believing on Him, that's why Paul says back in chapter 4, verse uh, again, he uses Abraham as the example. Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. Or in chapter 5, verse 1, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through Him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. So, in Adam all die, in Christ all live. The all are not exactly the same. Everybody that's associated with Adam dies, dead in trespasses and sins. Everybody that's associated with Jesus, and by that I mean believe on Him, believe in Him, trust in Him. Everybody who trusts in Christ lives. We are all sinners by imputation and by commission. And therefore, we all deserve condemnation. But in Christ, those who believe on Christ, trust in Christ, we are raised from the dead. We are made alive to spiritual, raised up to spiritual life. So, one final verse here for you in chapter 6, verse 23. Very familiar passage. Paul says, For the wages of sin is death. And everybody understands the concept of wages, right? In other words, what Paul is saying, that is what we have earned. The wages of sin is death. But for those who have faith in Christ, we don't get what we earned. We get the free gift. We get what Jesus earned. The reward that Jesus earned. The free gift, for the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Every person in this room this morning identifies with one of these two men in a very real and intimate way. That is, you either stand in Adam and therefore condemned or you you are you stand in Christ and therefore justified if you're in Adam then the verdict is guilty and the sentence is eternal condemnation unless you repent but if you're in Christ the verdict is not guilty not because God is sweeping sin under the rug, but because Jesus lived righteousness for us and died paying the penalty for our sin. So everyone in Christ is justified by trusting in the saving work of Jesus Christ. We are saved, not because of who we are or what we have done, but because of what Jesus has done. Condemnation and justification, both through one man, not the same man. One man provides condemnation for all. Adam. And the all is all, everybody. And one man provides justification. And only one man, and that's Jesus. And the all that he provides justification for are all those who believe on him, trust in his saving work.
Now, I hope that's where you stand this morning. But it's an either or. There's no middle ground. There's no neutral ground. Would you stand, please? Even if you're here this morning and you still stand in Adam, your identification is, it, your, your association is with Adam, there's a remedy. And that is to repent of sin and come to Jesus Christ. Adam's sin was a rejection of the sovereign rule of God. So to repent and believe on Christ is to submit. Submit your whole being to the sovereign rule of Christ. And if you haven't done that, I pray that you will do that today. Let's pray together and we will uh, dismiss and Lord willing, see you back here this evening. Father, we again thank you for your word and these precious truths, precious promises. You could have let us all perish. When, When Adam and Eve sinned, you could have wiped out the whole earth, all of creation, including Adam and Eve, and been done with it in your sovereign will because of your love, your mercy. You made a way of salvation. You you planned it from the beginning to send your own Son into the world to live and die for all who believe so that we would not perish but have eternal life. And Lord, I do pray as we uh, prepare to dismiss this morning that if there's anyone in this room today that does not know You in truth, Lord, open their eyes to that fact and don't let them rest until they surrender to You and know Your love, Your saving grace. And may it all be for your honor and glory. Now may the Lord bless and keep you. May the Lord make His face shine upon you and be gracious to you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Amen. Dismissed.